On Sex Positive Me, we explore all aspects of sex and relationships, ranging from fetishes and BDSM to ethical non-monogamy and LGBTQ issues. Sex Positive Me destigmatizes sexual practices and relationships while reconciling reality with myth and misconceptions. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and be advocates of sexual freedom. And now here's your hosts, Angelique and John Luna. And welcome! Another week in March of craziness, madness, I don't know what else, what do we call March it? March madness, but no, no oh, basketball. Oh no, don't go March madness, please. Okay, this is Angelique Luna hating the basketball reference. Please, we, we don't need basketball, John. John. You, you know, you never get sports, John, period. There is no sports, John. Sports, John is the guy who gets upset because all his friends disappear Sunday and he's bored. That's why you have poker night. Wait, that doesn't exist anymore. Never mind. But I got you. No, you get your playmates there. So so, so let's go down the list of craziness. Things have been crazy. Yes, I know. And so we're going to have a fun interview this time. We have some fun guests. You do the presentation. Me do the presentation. (laughs) You do the presentation because I'm all tongue twisty now. (laughs) Well, you may have heard something called the Mystery Box Show. If you haven't, it is amazing. True stories about sex. It is the live version of what we would do if we had a stage, but they do it better. Exactly. And one of our favorite little people that you know, who says our show, Amberly, she was on their show and that's how we know everybody. So yes, let's introduce executive producer and story coach Reba and co-producer and story coach Eric. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here. One. Tell us, okay, so how did this all get birth? Why the Mystery Box Show? Do you want to, do you want to? Well, the, uh, the, the, the short version <laughs> is, the, is that in 2012, um, I started the Mystery Box Show by myself. And then a year later, Reba came along and turned it into a good show. <laughs> That's kind I know of that feeling. Process. That's the nutshell, but really just to speak more about that, I think it's fair to say around that time, storytelling, modern storytelling on stage and the way we hear it now is a lot different than traditional, like sitting around the campfire storytelling, which is what I think a lot of people think of. Um, So true personal narratives on stage that are coached and curated oftentimes, that was sort of up and coming right around that time. Yeah, the moth had hit big on NPR and was being featured on This American Life, so that's sort of how it's it's gotten into the zeitgeist. Yeah, and I think Eric was um, just enjoying those shows, right? And every time there was a story specifically about sex within a certain show, he'd be like, "I want more of that." Where's that show? Um, and there just there wasn't one, at least not in Portland. And so he was like, "How hard could this be?" <laughs> so I got a couple of friends together and said, "Like, will you tell some stories?" and we went to the theater. I'd never been involved in theater before outside of uh, being in an audience, which is my favorite place to be in a theater. Um, but yeah, we, we went to the theater. We got some folks together and 100 people showed up to watch the show. Which I'm going to say, too, how hard can this be? Very hard, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. People love hearing about other people's sex stories, but they don't like telling their sex stories. Yeah, I thought it would just be a matter of rounding some folks up to 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 be like, hey, get on a stage, it'll be fun. But they were like, oh, I have to talk about what? That's that's private. Um, but we found the right people and the crowd really loved it. And they came up to all of us afterwards and said, that was amazing. When's the next one? And we all thought, next one? <laughs> okay, uh, 
in two months. And now here we are nine years later. Yeah. So it was like, you were like six shows in the first show I came to was like the sixth one. And I, my background is in theater and directing and producing and all of it. And so I was just kind of (laughs) like, I was like, Eric, your show's so cute. Um, (laughs) um, But here's how I can help. Like, and I said, uh, thanks, but I think I got it. I don't need any notes. <laughs> True, that did happen. But then I think he was just, he just had a crush on me. So he let me participate. Is that accurate? <laughs> I don't know if it was that I was uh, like, let me hormonally show driven. I was like, let me show you what I can do. And then he was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Just as far as like the coaching goes and things like that. And we sort of, I don't know. Just... Started, started working with some storytellers and and, and I watched her coach someone's story in a completely different direction than my instincts would have taken me. I, I should say then my unhoned instinct would have taken me and Reba's professional background just like elevated everything immediately. And I, I thought, oh, I should listen to this person instead of shoving them aside. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the origin of the show and then uh, how we started working together. Yeah, that, that's just kind of sounds like a Picasso show when we did that. Yes. yes. Like, it's been in Orlando for 11 years now, and it's they're in the top 10 of the Picasso shows worldwide. And it's the same thing. Like, they will hone in your skills and teach you and coach you how to tell your story much better. So I understand that aspect because one person could tell you one way and then another person could take that same story and just twisted completely in a better story format to get the feelings and the emotions and get the audience to like, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, we're usually behind the mic here, which is a nice safe place because we have that editing power. And then you threw us up on stage and we went, what? <laughs> I was panicking more than you. Okay. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, the coaching is sort of the editing process. So we, we don't put anybody on stage unless we feel that they're ready to go. Yeah, and that's part of my forte as well, that I know how to help people um, with stage presence and stage fright. Because that's the thing too, we should say that with the Mystery Box show, not everybody is a seasoned performer. Um, They might just have a a great sex story and have never been on stage before, never even used a microphone before. And the whole point is that it doesn't matter because everyone has a relationship to or with sex, even if, even if they're asexual, there's still a relationship there. And so we want to be able to showcase everyone. Um, so that's, yeah, part of, part of the coaching as well is the stage presence and what to do about those nerves and how to not freak out. And so a lot of like a lot of people walk away from coaching saying like, Oh, I just feel like I was in a therapy session. <laughs> not that we're trying to do that, but it can be cathartic, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's, it gets very intimate and vulnerable. Yeah. Well, getting up on a stage in front of lots of people and sharing your sex stories obviously makes you vulnerable. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, so I understand what you said before about it being a little difficult to find people to get out there. Now that you've been doing it for nine years, is it, is it easier? Is it like, oh, I've watched the old stuff. I can do that. When in the beginning it was like, you want me to do what? Yeah, it's significantly easier now. Um, I think part of it honestly is just word of mouth that people felt safe. People felt, um, they just, we got a reputation that people trust us. Um, 
I think that's part of it. And then what you just said, yeah, people have, you know, since we do have a YouTube channel or people have been to the live shows or they've seen the YouTube channel and seen what it actually is, that helps develop some confidence, I think. So it's funny that you say that it's significantly easier because I almost feel like it's, it's still a bit of a challenge to find storytellers. Really? I do. So I disagree with this because, <laughs> oh, do I mean, tell. <laughs> yeah, no, because in the earlier years, it was a lot of us courting people and saying like, hey, will you please pitch a story? We think you'd be great. And now pitches just come in. I suppose that's true. Yeah, to, to an extent. Um, John, what you were saying about uh, people seeing the stories and being like, oh, I can do that. Uh, I actually think that because the stories are so well-crafted, um, we, we do reach out to a lot of people or we have people see the show and their thought is after seeing the stories, I could never do it. I'm not that good of a storyteller. You put me on a stage and I'll be awful. And that's because they don't see the, you know, three, four, five hours of coaching that goes into the stories beforehand. They don't see the raw material, they see the final product. It's, it's like watching your favorite movie and thinking you could never write a movie because you'll never be that good. Well, that writer started off somewhere as well, but you don't see that, you see the final product. So I, th I think that's what makes it intimidating for a lot of people, um, but yeah. I think you just forget how hard it used to be. <laughs> I might, I might. <laughs> No, I, I could totally relate. Yeah. When we first started the podcast five years ago, it was trying to like find people, trust us, you know, get your stories here so we could share them to let other people know that, you know, whatever you desire sexually, there's at least someone else out there like you, just one person just to do that. And then, yeah, now, like in the last two years, it's like, I have to go through and see, okay, who qualifies, who meets my goal and mission in my podcast? Because now they're just coming out. It's like, oh, we want to be on our podcast. Want to be a I'm like, I got to see if you fit what our mission statement, you know, it, it's not everyone could do it. And when I first started for season one, yeah, that was wild, wild west. So yeah, it was anybody. And that's how we met Amberly. Actually, she uh, reached out and she was going through all these uh, podcasters who all kept up. No. And I'm like, sure, shits and giggles. Let's see what happens. And we've been friends ever since. Yeah, um, she's great. Yeah, love Amberly. Amberly was a dear to work with. Absolutely. So I'm looking through the list of uh, shows you've done or the stories that have been told. I mean, they're all over the board. One Night Stands, Fetishes, Just Plain Awkward Times. Um, what is your, each of you, what is your favorite or not even so say favorite because I don't want to pick favorites. <laughs> most Picky interesting that you kind of kind of got up there and went, huh? Okay, we we can work with that, I guess. Hmm, that's a good question. I have an answer. Do you have an answer? I have an answer, but I don't want to call out. I don't want to call anyone out. So how do I talk about the story without somebody going? I'm going to look up that story and then learn who that person was. You answer and I'll, okay. then I'll go. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I think this one, I don't think would mind being looked up. I think one of the most memorable ones for me was uh, somebody who came to us with a story. Uh, and, and I don't know if this, this moment needs a content notification, a sort of trigger warning. It was about consensual non-consent. Um, and it was just one of the most well-told stories. So it, um, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, in our show, we always give a, a, 
a blanket trigger warning at the beginning because many people have triggers associated with sexual moments. And sometimes you don't really know what might trigger a person's emotions. Um, and we want everybody to feel like they're in a safe space. Uh, there are other sexual uh, topics which are pretty obviously going to be sexual uh, trigger, emotional triggers for people. So the idea of sexual non-consent and uh, uh, consensual non-consent and, um, and rape fantasy is definitely a triggering area. And we wanted everybody to be careful around that um, and to feel safe. And when the storyteller came to us, we wanted to be sure the story could be perceived in a way that is super fun, which the story is, but also not make people feel uncomfortable or scared for the storyteller in, in the moment. Um, so I think that's one of the most interesting ones for me. And, and if anybody wants to look that up, um, their name is AJ Summerlee, AJ spelled A-J-E with, uh, with uh, an accent mark on it, Summerlee, somewhere like the, um, the season of the year. <laughs> um, and, and it's just a fantastic story of consensual non-consent and how it can be used in fantasy life and, and why it's not a, uh, not a dangerous thing if it's practiced with full communication and, uh, and in a healthy way. And it's a fantastic story. That's pretty much as risque as you get. Oh no, there, there's well, more risque. It's like he, even some of our friends who've been on the show, I, I, I could check off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sinead was just on. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Sinead was on uh, in our Valentine's show. I was just, so this relates to what I was going to say, which is I really favor the stories that you don't hear that often or ever. So every now and then the storyteller will have something and we'll be like, we've never had a story talk about this before. Bring it on. And Sinead's story was one of those about black women, mm -hmm. about black queer women specifically. And we hadn't ever really like dived deep into that kind of thing. And along the lines of things that don't often get talked about, um, at least uh, things that people don't feel compel compelled to share that we don't hear about typically. Um, one of my favorites we did, it was several years ago, was a gentleman who had a fat fetish. And his story mm. was just, it's still one of my favorites. Um, just because I think that we get preconceived notions and judgments about other people's fetishes. And so breaking, and that's not, I don't, I don't know if that's a common fetish. I know we hear, um, like fat positive movements and people saying things like, don't fetishize me. So we hear it in that regard, but I don't think we often hear it. Like I have a fat fetish. I'm into that. And here's why. Um, and I really loved his perspective and the emotions behind it. And just, I don't know, it's just something I hear that often. So I really value those kind of things. Um, I, I hate, I, I don't want to like, this is not me tooting my own horn either, but I remember it was our third year anniversary show. Mm -hmm. And I tell a story at every show, but that was, that's only been within the last five years, I would say. So prior to that, I remember I was like, Eric, I have a story. I'm going to be one of the storytellers because the story needs to be told because nobody talks about this. And it was about sexuality and breastfeeding and how like breastfeeding is a turn on and like for the person who is breast, like me, I'm lactating and it turns me on. Um, and so I told a story about that. So those like niche stories are really the ones that I appreciate and value the most. 
Yes, that goes with John's cupcake and milk story. <laughs> yes, I, I've only had one. Story. Oh, story time. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have, uh, we went to, where was that? That was uh, Canada. Uh, th- no, yeah, that was Toronto. Okay, so we were at one of the sex positive conferences. So we're both bisexual and we were, we were invited to a private party with one of our friends. And so there was, John had two options. I was catching up. I was gossiping with everybody because it, it's like once a year we all catch up. So I was off socializing. He off was playing. So he was offered to play with all the bi guys in the bed or with this young lady who had a fetish of who was breastfeeding and had a cupcake and wanted to do cupcake and milk. And I will say I have never in my life even thought of splashing again, not yucking on anyone's yum, but it never once attracted me. Never came across your until mind. I'm <laughs> in the middle of it, looking around and realizing there's cupcake in a 360 blast zone around me. Cause it got smashed on my face and then I got hosed down basically and I'm like, I look, I remember at one point I looked over at you. I said, new fetish. <laughs> <laughs> but the nice thing about that and hearing these stories I find out is I uh, like that experience. People will either not know they have a fetish, not know it excites them, or they're, they, they push it down so deep because they think it's something that no one will ever accept me for, or no one would ever want to do this with me. And when you get up on stage and you tell a story like that and you can do it confidently, you'll find people that just come up to you and they're like, I just want to talk with you. I just want to say in a little way, you're my hero. And mm-hmm. when that happens, the, 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 the feeling of the presenter, I mean, the feeling I get from it is absolutely amazing. And you must see this with, again, those type of shows doing how many presentations per show? How many stories? Typically five stories per show. Um, and, yeah, so there's been a couple hundred over the past few years. And the, yeah. I think those stories are the most satisfying, though, from the you audience. You see that over and over, people coming up to storytellers and saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just normalizing it. And I think really destigmatizing and normalizing. We used to say we never had like a mission statement or a purpose. Eric was like, we're just here for entertainment. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. But also I do think people are getting something out of it. And the reason it's so like the reason I'm driven to keep producing this is because it, it is normal to me. And I think we've talked about this a lot. I grew up in a military family and a lot of my formative years were in Germany where it's just like sex everywhere all the time, nudity everywhere all the time, ain't no thing. Have some beer and sit next to titties at dinner. Like nobody cares. And so to me, it's all just kind of normal. It always has been. And so it's, I think a little easier for me anyway, to just present with confidence and be like, and here are these people's stories that are completely normal. And here is this person's story that's completely normal. And, you know, so I, so anyway, that's kind of the point now is like destigmatize and and normalize. Yeah. I I do feel the need to defend myself a little bit when, when you, when you say that, (laughs) No, 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 but no, but you're totally right. Like that for me, it, it, it always was, you know, I just want to do an entertaining show. I don't want to have a mission, but I, I think at the core of that is, I don't think we ever wanted the show to feel like it was too self-important. Like we were saying, listen, we're trying to change the world. Even though I think on our Instagram, it's like, we're changing the world. One sex story at a time. <laughs> that's, that's not actually the mission. I, feel, I think that feels very self-important. 
And this is something that we find with our storytellers a lot. It's, it's, it's one of the tips that we give is a lot of times storytellers will feel that they're up on stage sharing themselves, but also that they're doing it for the purpose of the audience to open themselves up. And they'll go into what we call lecture mode. And they'll say, you know, like, and so I found that, you know, I opened up my kinky desires and uh, I think all of you should open yourselves up to exploring. And there's almost nothing that'll make an audience tense up quicker and say like, no, don't tell me what to do. Who are you? But if the storyteller sort of keeps it in themselves with, uh, with what Reba calls I statements and say, you know, this is what I found when I did this, thank you. Then the audience will lean forward and go like, oh, I wonder if that would be true for me too. Yeah. And so I think that's why I, I never wanted us to go towards self-importance and, and be like we're lecturing anybody. Yeah, you just don't want to be agenda driven. Yeah. Yeah, and neither do I, for the record. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you do have humble. an agenda. You're entertaining people. That is your agenda. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's definitely something to be said for having fun with it. I know I do this because I still enjoy it. It again, the stories coming back and, and getting on the couch with my wife and doing this on a regular basis. It's it's not something to where I go, oh damn, that's what I have to do on Wednesday night. It's who are we talking to today? Because I know it's gonna be fun. It's always interesting because we learn so much from even all the people that we have interviewed from. And it, it's entertaining and you know, we're still in inquisitive of like, okay, so how is this going to make the world better for sex? You know, what is it, you know, what's the benefits out of this? So yeah, I mean, we, we have too much fun with it, but everyone also likes to see the chaos between the Virgo and Libra. So. Mm. <laughs> well, we've got two Aries here, so I don't know. Yeah, oh. we're, just, we're 10 days apart. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, work, it works. I think so. It works out. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's sorry. I can't go into what your su sun, moon, rising, and all that. I'm like, that's not good. I please you butt heads, though, don't we? Yeah, we do. We are both stubborn and we butt heads. So there it is. Yeah. Well, okay. So you said 100 people showed up to your first show, and we're, we're just discounting that whole COVID thing. How has it grown over the years? Discounting COVID. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. the first show in a theater that, that, held a hundred people um and it dwindled a little bit after that to be honest like i think like anything does you know you start if you have a band and you invite all your friends out to see your band play they'll all come out to see your first show how many are going to come come to see the second one True. but there were some return people and then word of mouth got around and then that was around the time reba got yeah, involved no when i got involved we had a waiting list I remember. So yeah. it was, it was selling out at a hundred. And, and then, then you said, let's go to a different theater. Yeah. That's when, when I came aboard and I was like, we, we got to go to a bigger theater. Like this is a missed opportunity here. Like we have a waiting list. Come on. <laughs> um, so then we went to a bigger theater that accommodated 230. I think so. And then we were there for a year and a half and then moved up to a 400 seat theater. 400 seat theater. And that's where we've been for the last several years at the 400 seat theater. Yeah, should give um, a shout out to the Alberta Rose Theater. Yeah. Um, they're also doing live streams of music uh, these days. So if anybody wants to look up the Alberta Rose Theater, we, we love them. Yeah, but as far as, um, I mean, that's just like, how has the audience grown? But as far as like, how has the show, what, what was your specific question? <laughs> oh no, keep going. I want to know how the show has grown and, um, and how it's actually changed you two is where I was heading with it, being oh. a part of all this. Well, I mean, we were just discussing this like less than an hour ago. Um, you know, originally it was just, it was a hobby. And I said, Eric, I don't want this to be my hobby. I want this to be my job. 
And he was like, yeah, I just don't see how that's going to happen. Like, I don't see how that's feasible or financially possible. And I was coming from the nonprofit world. So I kind of understood how to make it profitable um, just because that was my job. And um, so changed in that aspect. I was like, no, we just, we need sponsorships. We need better marketing strategies. We need, <laughs> we need to produce this better. We need social media. You know, we didn't have, I don't know. We had like 170 people on Facebook and at that point, no Instagram or no, you know what I mean? I, so we were like, here's, here's what we need to do. And so, um, it became my full-time job, which was cool. Um, things grew in that. Well, originally Eric was, was the host exclusively. And then I was doing all the backend stuff and the coaching and all the things. Um, but again, as yeah. we, talked about prior to recording this, it became, everyone was like, Oh, Eric show, Eric, 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 Eric. And, and really I was the, like, hello. <laughs> the bulk of the show really at that point had become Reba. Like the reason the show was what it was and is what it is, is Reba. But because I was the host and I was the front facing person, people would just assume, Oh, you must be the mastermind. So what we started doing, cause I do believe I am a person who wants recognition and I believe visibility for women is very important. Um, I, at that point, since I had been procuring sponsors, I was like, what if we did sort of like a live commercial every show? And I do that. So I have some visibility and that's what morphed into me telling stories. Cause I started then telling stories that would lead into the product or what, or the company or whatever, who had sponsored us. Um, which was awesome that I guess I had that many sexual experiences <laughs> that I could like shoehorn <laughs> it, you know what I mean? Um, and so that's how I started telling stories at every single show. But even, I don't know, eventually we were just like, let's co-host. Is that how it happened? I can't remember. I can't remember exactly when it happened, but I mean, it turns out to have been a natural fit that Reba and I just co-host the show together. Yeah. It, I mean, it feels symbiotic that way. Like we, we coach together too, in a really good way in that like Eric tends to be like the structure person of a story. And I tend to be the more emotional person of it. And so we both bring that. Hey, don't look at me. Together. And I think that works. We're two different personalities on stage as well. That really works well together. Yeah. I'm like very grounded and he's like very jumpy. <laughs> I'm a bit of a goofball. I mean, I'm hilarious, but I'm like very grounded while I'm hilarious. I think Reva is particularly referencing... <laughs> One show, uh, one particular show afterwards, somebody came up to me uh, as I was walking around cleaning up the theater and they said, oh, you are so funny. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then they looked at me dead in the eye and said, your wife is hilarious. <laughs> so, it was the best. I took that in stride. That's fine. That's accurate. <laughs> I mean, other ways it, it evolved. We, um, at one point we had a VIP section. That's, oh, we've always had, not always. We, we adapted into a VIP section, which had sponsored toys and things like that. And when we moved to a different theater, I was like, we need something different. And the Alberta Rose has this big, beautiful green room that is just a natural party room. And um, the owners graciously allowed us to say like, yeah, any VIP ticket holder can go backstage and have like a VIP after party. Um, and that became one of my favorite things because I love hosting. And so like 
I would cater it back there, have like hors d'oeuvres and volunteers walking around as servers with, we had wine and um, food and um, all the VIP guests got to talk to each other and to the storytellers because the storytellers were back there too. And then eventually we had guests back there like the guest like rope time demonstrations at the after party or um one time we had the the cowgirl which is like the it's like a sibian but it's like a modern sib right i'm it's sure a, you know what a cowgirl it's, it's a similar type of machine um yeah. so like we had we had a cowgirl back there that not that people were getting on but that they could turn on and see how it works and things like that or um yeah, I don't know. We Eventually, had... the show just became a reason for Reba to throw a party, um, <laughs> which, is, which is like what she does best. And and then based on that, because people were like, that was so much fun. I loved getting a deeper insight, either from the storytellers or just having a conversation with somebody who was at the show. Like, what was your perspective? What was your perspective? Then um, we started hosting in our homes dinner parties. We call them the mystery box socials after box social, I don't know if you know what that is, the Southern thing, but um, we, we, we could fit about 18 people in our dining room. We kind of transformed our house and we have a projector and a movie screen. So because we film all the stories, we, can, we would invite two past storytellers. I would sort of just pick and choose two people and based on trying to make it diverse. Um, and then we would screen their stories. So people would buy tickets and then I would cater the whole thing and they would eat a meal with these storytellers, watch the stories, and then the conversation afterwards was just like, it goes everywhere. Um, and, and all 18 people engaging all at once. Like you, I've rarely been a part of a conversation like that where everybody is involved and interested in contributing and contrasting one another and learning things from one another. I'd say that for myself, especially. And respectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's always been the thing too. And I don't know if it's because it's like in our home, it feels different, like you have to behave, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but so that's, those are things that have evolved over time. Just finding more ways to continue the conversation and uh, in ways to engage with people. Mm -hmm. Uh oh, John's wheels are I, turning I, here. I, I'm already uh, sold. I'm ready to get on a plane. When's the next one? <laughs> franchise, because that could work here yeah, yeah. in Orlando. Okay. I'm like, franchise idea. I got a different one. Well, the, the idea of doing it with so many other sex stories around us. Um, again, we go to conferences. We've seen this. When we actually did our on stage one, we did it on bisexuality, being a bisexual open couple. Um, but we were like coming after a financial ad analyst. <laughs> And then after us was like, you know, the uh, the environment and the snow caps are, are going and Miami's going to be underwater in 10 years. So it was this really weird thing. And then afterwards, we, you know, you get together and you all kind of sit and talk and stuff. And you were kind of sitting there going, that was weird. <laughs> so so that is something I'm always envious about is the West Coast. And they're, um, I guess what I've seen is a very sexual free environment as far as U.S. goes, not compared to Germany. Mm -hmm. well i, th I think say, it's all relative well i'd say where we are in portland definitely we're in our own little sex bubble for sure mm -hmm. what are we like the the stripper capital name what are we the, the, <laughs> the strip club capital of the united states i think there's more strip clubs per capita is the t statistic in portland so they say um was in portland about, the drive-through strip strippers yes we we, we okay. had those during covid times yeah yeah um yeah, and that's not that's not to say that strip clubs are the the number one marker of the sex positivity of any community. No, but it's an example but, of 
Yeah, and and the more strip clubs there are, the more diversity you see in the strip clubs, and and what a dancer is expected to be or not expected to be. Um, there's so many ways for people to express themselves on a stage that way, uh, more than just the stereotype of what you think a stripper is. Yeah, and I think I mean, I don't know if this is true because it's the bubble we are in in our social network, but I feel like. I've never lived anywhere else where I knew so many sex coaches or sex therapists or sex educators or sex workers or sex workers open and totally normal. And there's no stigma behind it. And that's just kind of the jam here. Well, yeah. it, it is interesting that in our, in our travels, um, we're down, we're down in Orlando by Disney. So it, it's, it's uh, moderately sex positive, but um, in the if, closet, very, <laughs> Very, but then we talk with people from like central Pennsylvania who will drive four hours to go to a munch for an hour because mm -hmm. that's their one outlet a month. Wow. And it's that desolate as far as um, sexual conversations. So um, yeah, thank God we're online. <laughs> yeah. That has been one of the, uh, the, the silver linings of the quarantine is is finding new audience, new people to talk to, new storytellers we've been able to work with online. So that's been very helpful. We've been, we, we met you, you know? Um, and up until that point, when it came to our show, all we could have on our stage were people who were in Portland. So there really wasn't a reason to reach beyond that. I mean, every now and then, every, every now, now and then someone would fly in, but that was uh, the exception. Yeah, we, yeah, there wasn't the budget to just like, bring in everybody we wanted to from every part of the country or the world um but now we do have that opportunity at least while the uh while the online thing is happening i was looking at you why me <laughs> because you usually bounce stuff off me and we go back and forth and then start our little play arguments but well we tripped on that one <laughs> dun, dun, dun. so let me ask you uh where can people find you? What, okay, obviously everything was stopped for COVID. Mm -hmm. When is it coming back? And in the meantime, are you still doing it online? <clears throat> Very good questions. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have solid answers, but I'll give you what we have. So I think right now we'd love to direct people mainly to our YouTube channel. Um, that's where you can find past shows. We have hundreds of videos. And like I said, youtube.com slash mystery box show. Yeah. And we also have all of our live streams that we've done since the pandemic are on YouTube as well. And we have, oh yeah, another little side project in association with it. Um, Eric and I do something called Confession Corner on YouTube. Um, so we didn't say this during the live, dur during our show, um, always on stage and on the live streams during intermission, we invite the audience through a prompt to confess quote unquote something. So there's always a sexual prompt and they get to confess it. So. We have all of those since the beginning of the show. We have them on index cards. Um, so Eric and I do Confession Corner well, where we read them on YouTube. So those are really fun. Um, and we have, have a whole YouTube. confessional there and a little priest. <laughs> we certainly could. Yeah. yeah. And then our new show, Sex People, is up on YouTube as well. So that's the primary place where everything is. Um, and I guess you can reach, you can find out that on our website as well, which is mysteryboxshow.com. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, uh, we also have our podcast, which we just launched uh, in August. 
Um, for years, people have been saying, when are you all going to release a podcast of these stories? You should. And our reaction has typically been, yeah, we'll see if we can find the time for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, with time slowing down, we, we were able to, to set some templates and, uh, and, and group up and get a podcast together. So I think we're in our 18th episode right now, uh, just released 18th this morning. And that's where people can hear not only past stories that have been on stage, but also stories that we're recording with uh, storytellers from our home and then presenting them in kind of like a radio style, kind of like This American Life or Risk might do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. As far as when we're coming back, we're still not sure. Um, we should say that we've, we've, we've made the decision that we will not be returning earlier than 2022. Um, even as, as, as bright as the light at the tunnel, end of the tunnel seems right now with vaccinations and small gatherings opening up, it still feels a little uncertain. And there's, there's been so many potential false starts where, you know, like we will be like, oh yeah, well, so we'll plan for June if June is okay. And then June doesn't happen, or maybe October will work. And it's a challenge to sell tickets that way we just decided we'd rather know for sure whether we're going to be on stage or not. So it's better for us to decide that than to let COVID decide that. Understandable. Yeah. Cause we just saw um, Vegas is opening up their theaters, but everyone's like wearing a mask and six foot and we'll see how that turns out and see how long that lasts because we have a couple of friends who work in the uh, entertainment industry and in Vegas and it's, it's been kind of scary the last couple of months of seeing like ghost towns. Yeah, and I think what's interesting for theaters is that you, nobody can open at full capacity yet. And so is it financially viable? You know, is it worth your efforts? And, you know, with this show being my full-time job at any rate, it's not just like, let's see what happens. It's like, there's a lot riding on it. Yeah. More than just. I think it'll see. be a while before everybody's comfortable or we even figure out what it is. Because the other thing about theater is theater primarily works on an energy exchange between the people on stage and the audience and it's it's nice that things can open up but with social distancing and masks on how do I want to say this it feels like a lot of the good energy of theater comes from people being packed together like there's, there's like a vibrational energy that everybody has when you're all packed together gonna witness a thing that doesn't exist as much if you're separated apart from one another. Yeah, you're still on the same room experiencing a live event, but somehow that energy is, it, it isn't as palpable. The biggest so I think thing I've heard with, we're with gonna COVID. We're gonna that energy back. No, it's, exactly, it's exactly that energy because so many of our, our coworkers, presenters do presentations. We all moved online and we're used to doing a theatric and getting the oohs, the ahs. And now we do the theatric and we'll wait for the crickets and go, all right, keep going. Maybe it went well. Maybe and they'll, the they'll put something it, in the chat room and say, hey, they liked it, you know, just be waiting. It's just, uh, it is different. It is a different experience altogether. Even us as, you know, educators and presenters, it's missing that high of getting that energy from the crowd. It really makes me admire, I on YouTube, sometimes I, I, I fall down rabbit holes of watching like the late night shows and to see how they've adapted to basically doing monologues to a, to a camera with no audience and seeing them succeed. And it's funny and it's wonderful, 
but recognizing what it takes to overcome the lack of an audience to bring a different skill set to that is just tremendous. I don't think a lot of people have that um, have that capacity or recognize what it takes to do that. Well, also a lot of people don't even understand if they haven't experienced theater productions, how much goes behind the scenes and how much you got to make sure that everything flows. And if something falls apart, you know, make it quick, sew it up and that no one sees that something went wrong without a hiccup. Trust me, event planner here in Orlando for like 20 years and working behind the scenes, working with theatrical musicians and making sure everything is flawless is Nerve-wracking at the same time. Everyone deserves credit because without your sound, guys, yeah, you're screwed. It's a bad show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one last question I want to ask. How'd you come up with the mystery box show? <laughs> the title itself? The title. Yeah, that's become a, a little bit mythologized. That's all. Oh, that's all. That's all story. <laughs> um so the initial concept, I remember I came up with this when I was riding my bike, because again, like Reba said, I was into storytelling shows and thinking maybe I could do one myself. And then I had this idea that maybe the hook would be that every storyteller could bring on stage with them a sexual object that has a story attached to it and that they could tell the story attached to that object. And then I thought that object could be stored on stage in a box in a literal box that they would open and the audience would never know what's gonna come out of the mystery box. And it's the mystery box show. The star of the show is the box and who knows what kind of story is gonna be in there with, with what object. And so for the first show, we got five storytellers together, three of whom had an object and two of whom were like, I just have a story. And it, and it became immediately clear that almost no one has an object that they are either uh, attached to a story with or comfortable bringing on a stage or still have in their lives. So we called it the mystery box show for the first show. And then by the second show, nobody had any objects, (laughs) but the name was still there. I love it. (laughs) So it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's hung on, even though the concept has evaporated. Yeah. A lot of people think it's an innuendo, but it's not. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking something out of Sesame Street. <laughs> that, you that, that that was the deal. Yeah, don't, totally. don't even get me started. So I, I, it it is just a coincidence, but um, I'm also a huge fan of Sesame Street. So it sounds like you know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. Uh, and I part of my background is is in animation, and animators are huge fans of the Muppets just because of the acting and performance that goes on. And when I was in school, one of our favorite clips to watch was this clip, anybody listening right now has got to go look this up, this clip called Kermit and the Mystery Box. Mm -hmm. He is is presenting a mystery box to Cookie Monster. And he's saying that I have an object in this box and if you can guess what's in here, I'll give you a cookie. (laughs) I'm not gonna give anything else away. Uh, It is hilarious. I could go on and on talking about how Kermit and Cookie Monster um, react off of each other. And it's really, of course, Jim Henson and Frank Oz below. like jazz musicians uh, just playing off each other. It's, it's improv, but it's also, you know, a, a guided script. It is brilliant. It is funny. It is amazing. And uh, it only occurred to me after the words, after the show existed that like, oh, right. I was already in love with a particular mystery box. It's the one that Kermit presented the cookie. <laughs> See, your subconscious told the story. <laughs> there it was. 
<laughs> yeah, can we just make the rest of this interview about the Muppets? Because oh, I was going to say, can we make it about cookies? <laughs> Either or. <laughs> Two fantastic subjects. I concur. <laughs> but we have to come to a close. Wah, wah, wah. But it's been fun. Thank you for spending your evening with us, telling us about the Mystery Box the show. And we are looking forward. I know you already said how everyone could find you and we'll put it in the show notes. And hey, we'll, we'll definitely be out there. I, I can't think of a better excuse to get on an airplane right now. Well, yeah, we have a couple as soon, of advice. As soon as it's uh, <laughs> in 2022, but it's on my calendar somewhere. <laughs> Next dinner party, you're invited. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Ah, cool. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me. Have a good night. Bye. Hey, John, I want to get a new toy. Okay, so let's go to Fair Villa. But I don't want to waste time trying to find out what goes with what. Well, there's Fairville University and their staff is very well educated and helpful. Okay, but how about if I just want to go to a party instead? Then go to their website because on their calendar they list all their events. But I don't want to spend a lot of money. Have you heard of their loyalty program? Oh yeah, that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush every time they see it. That's the one. Let's go. Well, they have over five locations in Central Florida. Which one do you want to go to? Fair Villa. For, for pleasure, fun, and fantasy. Thank you for listening to Sex Pods and Me. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and review us. You can find us on social media platforms at Sex Positive Me or on our website at sexpositiveme.com. You can also reach me on all social media platforms as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me at John C. Luna. And if you liked content like this and want some more, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.